Today on the I-5 Corridor, Tyson and Aiden break down Micah Pittman's transfer from Oregon. They take a look at what an expanded college football playoff picture would look like. And then Cole Irvin from the Oakland Athletics stops by to talk about his time at Oregon and his first full season as a starter in the major leagues. That's all coming up next on the I-5 Corridor. You're listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider. Hey everyone, and welcome to the I-5 Corridor podcast. Tyson Alger here, joined by Aiden Schneider. It is like 5 p.m. on a Thursday night here. It is dark and rainy. Aiden, we're we're right into the thick of it, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to get outside in the middle of the day and enjoy the, the few daylight hours we have, but it's just getting shorter and shorter. As a, as a native... Oregonian you grew up in Portland like does this just kind of like feel like you're in your element here or do you still just like like why are you still in Oregon after 25 or however you however old you are how come you have not decided to leave this for that big yellow orb in the sky uh you just kind of get used to it you know it's always a little bit of a bummer when the weather's like this but I think the contrast makes the summer a little nicer too. You feel like you worked for it and and you really earned that sun, but it can get a little rough in the winter months. I think uh, I'm definitely in the summer that uh, I'm that guy that's always like, oh man, it's such a nice day out. And everyone's like, yeah, it's summer. Like that's how it works. But you know, you got to be appreciative of when, when it's, when it's raining every single day for the next I think 13 months coming up here. Well, anyways, we we have uh, we have a good podcast today. We have Cole Irvin, uh, starting pitcher from the Oakland Athletics, coming up later. He's a former uh, Oregon baseball pitcher. Fun fun interview talking about baseball and racing and, and hockey of all things. But uh, but first, we wanted to get into kind of some newsy newsy news this week from the Oregon beat. Uh, the the Ducks won again last last Saturday. They're nine and one. They're still number three in the country, but. Uh, you kind of had the rare story of a of a transfer f- for a number three team in the country that's right in the middle of the thick, uh, right in the middle of the playoff race, uh, with Micah Pittman announcing this week that he will be leaving the program. He's he's a former four star wide receiver. He was the number one. He was like the top offensive player in Oregon's like first big recruiting class under Cristobal. Uh, a lot of expectations for him coming here, and he just kind of ultimately. It was a mixture of injuries and unavailability, and then just kind of getting buried in the depth chart is which. Uh, I think is is what kind of led to his uh, his departure, but um, kind of kind of an out of the blue story and, and not one that you're really expecting for a team that's in the thick of it. What what did you make of the whole the whole Pittman storyline this week? Uh, I thought it was interesting. Um, it, it's tough. He's a great player uh, to lose. Oregon's got a lot of a lot of talent at wide receiver, but he's definitely demonstrated he's able to make plays. But ultimately, I think it just comes down to players doing what's best for them and and we're not going to know all the specifics of exactly what led to him pulling the trigger and making that decision but uh you know i think i wish him the best and i think it's the right move for transfer rules to be changed so players who are maybe not thrilled with their situation are able to make a move and get themselves to where they want to be yeah, like the the why or, or I, I guess the why of the transfer makes sense to me uh, if it's along those lines, which we think it is of is of kind of playing time and 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 maybe the fit for the offense and and Pittman's a, Pittman's 
Pittman's a player that definitely has NFL dreams. His father was an NFL running back. His older brother's in, in the NFL right now. Like, this is where he wants to go. And right now, he's just kind of like among of a sea of pretty talented wide receivers that haven't really separated themselves on that Oregon roster. And frankly, it's an offense that's not really taking advantage of, of the wide receivers either. It's it's a lot of dinks and dunks. And, and a lot of what we've seen from Pittman over the years has, has just been kind of like throws out into the flat where, where you rely on kind of his speed and his playmaking ability to do things. But I don't really think that that's going to get you noticed for, for kind of down the road discussions. And it, it just it didn't seem like a fit. But uh, boy, he took he took a fair amount of heat this week online because of it. Yeah, he really did. I was a bit surprised at that. Um, like you said, coming coming from an NFL family with his dad and his older brother, I think he knows what it takes. And I think he understands that he's not being utilized the way he could be. Um, and that's that's not necessarily anyone's fault. I think it's just a little bit of an unfortunate situation. But I think he's probably looking at the production that his older brother Michael had down at USC and and knowing that if if he can get closer to those types of numbers in a different situation that that's going to set him up a lot better heading into the nfl you do you think that this should be something to be concerned about in the long run for oregon uh just let, let's say it's the offensive system that like like do you think that the the offense that they're playing right now is scaring away either either players like Pittman or, or potential future recruits i don't think so um it's definitely possible that that could happen, but I think this comes with the territory a little bit with how well coach Cristobal has been recruiting. Um, it's Oregon four or five years ago was a lot less likely to have uh, a really talented recruit who's has his eyes on the NFL, get buried on the depth chart. So it's, it's a bit of a luxury to have, honestly. Um, but I think, as as Oregon keeps growing on the national stage and, and keeps recruiting, this is probably something that's going to happen every now and again. Well, and that's what I w wrote yesterday was when Pittman signed with Oregon, it was a really big deal at the time because he was kind of the first in the wave of those skilled Californian re receivers that that were coming up north as, as kind of part of the Cristobal regime. Um when he signed, that was when Dylan Mitchell had, I think, 80% of Justin Herbert's targets in, in Oregon's wide receiver room. It, it was it was a very one-player dependent group. And, and so that it was kind of a, a big sign that players of his caliber were willing to come to Oregon. But in the years since, you saw, I mean, Oregon's last two classes have been absolutely stocked with with players of that caliber. And, and that's, I, I think that you're going to start seeing that at, at more positions with the Ducks, too, because all of these players that they're bringing in are at such a high level that they have the option of getting playing time somewhere else. And with where we're at in, in college football now with, with uh, the addition of the one-time immediate transfer rule, as well as kind of some of those NIL deals, uh, I, th I think it's going to be harder to hang on to depth like that um, and have them develop within your system. Yeah, I think it will be. And, and another thing to consider is we've talked a lot during the season and everyone has really about the lack of of downfield throws with the Oregon offense. And it's it's hard to say if that's how it's going to continue in the future. Uh, Anthony Brown took a lot of heat earlier in the year um, for, you know, missing open receivers, not really throwing the ball down the field. But we don't know how much of that is the way he's being coached. We don't know how much of that is how comfortable the coaches are having him let it loose on certain throws. 
And I think that's also something that could change in the future. So as far as that goes, I think that's not necessarily going to be a deterrent the way the offense is running right now from future recruits. Yeah, and, and the, the, the direct impact on this Oregon team, it'll be noticed, but not a ton. I think Pittman's fifth in receptions. He's fourth in targets. Um, they have depth. I mean, like I think Chris Hudson and him kind of did a lot of the same stuff. And that's another position that they have Jalen Red as well. So they, they have guys that can um, kind of be multiple and, and, and take over that. And then if you look at future recruiting classes, um, I think they have another like top 150 wide receiver coming in next year, another four star from California. Um, they'll, they'll be able to kind of uh, piece this thing together. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is we're now, I think, four weeks into the the big Tuesday college football playoff rankings roll out the things that really mean nothing because they don't mean anything until the last one. But um, I, I think that it's kept Oregon's fan interest higher this season than it would be. I mean, they are nine and one, of course, so there, there is normal interest there. But I do think that the four team playoff has kept the overall interest in this team higher than it would be than say a 12 team playoff, which you've heard a lot of discussion about in recent weeks leading up to this. And I was curious your take on this and whether or not you think that a change to the playoff would change, like how you would be viewing kind of the interest level in this season, because where it is right now is every single game that Oregon plays still kind of has that, that will they, won't they have the playoff hanging in the balance. Whereas if, if it was just the PAC 12 winner, Oregon's got the PAC 12, at least the North division wrapped up almost to this point. And I just don't know if you would have that, that tension hanging on it. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think there's there's a real element of interest with the four team playoff where you really can't make a lot of mistakes. You get maybe maybe one slip up during the season. Um, any more than that, you're probably out. But I think looking at it from the bigger picture, uh, thinking about Oregon year over year, I think a 12 team playoff could probably help programs like Oregon and maybe a few others, maybe Oklahoma, Michigan, Michigan State who are typically right on the fringe of those playoff rankings, hanging out in the top 10 uh, to, to just give them a shot where Oregon's having a great year this year. They're in the top four. They control their own destiny. But there are a lot of years where you maybe see a two-loss team um, out of Oregon at this point in the season, maybe a three-loss with one of those losses coming, with one of those losses being a good loss, right. um, as it might be. And I really think that's a way to keep in the bigger picture to keep fans interested around the country and to let people peak at the right time. You know, a, a team could lose a, a game or two early in the season and with the current format that pretty much throws them out completely, but it leaves room for, for teams to improve over the season and, and beat a superior opponent to get in. Well, the, the team I think about in that contents, excuse me, in that context would be like your guys' 2015 team. Um, a, a team that when Vernon went down with his injury, it was just kind of like, ah, shit, like there goes Oregon season. But when he came back for that Washington game and, and up until the Alamo Bowl, like that team looked as good at times as the team you guys had the year before. It just sucked that at that point you guys had racked up a loss or two, like while he was out with the injury. Um, I don't I don't know if the game plan would have changed in any of those games when he was out. If if it was like, hey, we can lose like one or two of these and still be be in the thing, but it would it it would be cool to have teams like that still have some sort of opportunity later in, in the year. 
Yeah, it definitely would. And and another thing that I think would be pretty nice is it would end the the Cincinnati debate we've been having this year. The teams like that where they just they don't have the strength of schedule necessarily to get in over power five teams that are playing much tougher schedules. But I think Cincinnati deserves a shot. I I probably wouldn't put them in the top four regardless of what happens, just because they don't they don't play enough good teams, frankly. But I think they deserve a shot to be able to try to get in there and and to be able to play, you know, in Oregon and Alabama, depending on how the seating shakes out. Uh, well, I don't I don't know if you read my my column from Saturday night, but uh, I don't think the Pac-12 is making all that great of a case of of it having that great of a strength of schedule this year anymore either. Like <laughs> outside of outside of Oregon and Oregon State, I don't know if there's like two fan base or like program or any programs in the Pac-12 that can completely say that they're like happy with like their current situation within the conference. No, it's, it's been a tough year. I mean, Utah's got to be the closest and they're still a mile away. And then, and then you throw in like the whole ESPN broadcast debacle as well. Um, I was at the game, so I wasn't watching it on TV, but I did have it on DVR and uh, it was rough. And I've, I've, I'm glad that Kanzano kind of tracked that story down because I've definitely noticed that not not always just with the Oregon broadcast, but you'll be watching ESPN and all of a sudden like you'll have a broadcast where you're just like, what what's wrong with this? Like this feels like it's really dated. And um, if anyone didn't see it, uh, John Canzano at the Oregonian had like the backstory of uh, apparently they were using their E truck at this game and really old equipment. And uh, I just kind of figured that would all would have been standard. Are they just what's going on when that happens? Are they just trying to cut costs? Oh, they absolutely. Don't think the- they don't think the late night East Coast crowd is going to stick around. Okay, so you're you're uh, the CEO of Disney. Congratulations, and and you're trying to cut some costs, <laughs> and you're looking at the schedule, and you think, oh man, do we really need to have our number one truck in Eugene, Oregon, at 10:30 p.m. East Coast time uh, for one team that is in the playoff rankings but plays a pretty boring style of football against another team who just recently had their coach fired, like. I, I, I'm not saying that they made the right calls in doing that, but I can understand their rationale in putting that together. And I, if I'm, a, if I'm George Klyakov, um, I'm probably pretty pissed about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, they got to have it there now. That's uh, it's great that Kanzano was on the case. And I think everyone heard enough about it that that's probably not going to happen again anytime soon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, did you catch any of the Oregon basketball game on Tuesday? About half of it. It was it was a tough watch. I did, I couldn't finish the whole thing. Now was it the bad half or was it the really bad half of it? It was it was a little of both. I was, <laughs> came in right in the middle. Well, uh, I I think we'll kind of get more into the Oregon basketball season when uh, football dies down a bit. But uh, yeah, one one of the worst losses of the Dana Altman era, and um, it was a big enough game that that's kind of hung for a couple of days. I was driving around a couple of days ago and. Um, I think it was on 1080. They kept doing uh, like their sports update and they kept leading with the worst loss in the Dana Altman era. You know, it's just they were just really driving home the point. And um, yeah, it's, it's probably concerning if if you're a fan of Oregon and like really want them to do well in next week's Maui Invitational, which is in Vegas. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't I, I, I don't think that I would any draw. I would draw any super big conclusions from uh, this result from them, even, even though it even though it was pretty embarrassing and, and Altman put, what was his quote? What did he say? This the whole thing was on me. Yeah. He, he came out and said, 
I take responsibility for the loss. Our team clearly wasn't prepared. If they were prepared, they wouldn't play like that. It's my job to prepare yeah. them, so that's on me. Yeah, this is like best case scenario for for Altman, who likes to, to kind of like mold through adverse generated adversity and have his teams playing pretty well by March. And if you look at this team, there's a lot of talent on there, but it's it's a lot of his Oregon teams have been patched together, and this one has really been patched together. So it's it's not a surprise to me that it it looked pretty freaking clunky from them uh, through some stretches there. Yeah, Dana Altman's had a lot of success um, throughout his career and a lot of success at Oregon. So I, I think he's he's earned everyone's respect to the point where I don't think anyone's too worried about this. Um, and another great thing is that this isn't football. The <laughs> one bad loss doesn't hurt you nearly as much. You know, you can you can have a couple a couple times during the season where it's just not your night. You're shooting poorly. Your defense isn't clicking and, and still end up fine when it comes to tournament time. Dude, I, I tell you what, I've been, um, I forget if the, if they said that this was the worst loss that they've ever had under Altman, but I, I was there for one of his other ones. It was like 2014 and they were playing at Arizona and that was a really good Arizona team. And it was a really young Oregon team. It was like Brooks was a freshman. Uh, Bell was a freshman. And uh, uh, McHale Center in Tucson is probably the most intense uh, opposing arena that I've ever been in. Like it's just got a, a it's just got a different gear in terms of like the sound it can make, and it it completely derailed that Oregon team. And uh, boy, Altman accidentally had the door cracked open of the locker room when he was giving it to them after the game, and uh, um. He knows some words, man. I tell you what. <laughs> so, so I can I can only imagine I can only imagine the the, the speech that they got after uh, after this week's one. Oh, I bet it was brutal. But I think to your point, learning through adversity can be a good thing, especially when you have young players and players who haven't uh, been together for too long, who are still trying to feel each other out and. Maybe it'll be a good thing in the long term that that they get that out of the way, and and the next time they're they're having a bit of a slow start, that's something they can look back on and and think about, and know that they don't ever want to let that happen again. You feeling any better about the Blazers? Yeah, I'm fe- I'm feeling better. Yeah. Good. What do you think? Yeah, you know, it's just like I I already know that this season's going to be the one where they like they get out of December, they're going to be maybe like three games below five hundred. Like there's gonna be a big like dame like closed door meeting like we're gonna to rally together. They're they're gonna pick up like a, a buyout guy in in February whatever that is, and then they'll be right around like forty five fifty wins come come postseason. Like it's just, it's just you know you just kind of know how it's gonna work. But it, it has been interesting to see like I think enough games have been played where you can at least get a feel for kind of cha- Chauncey's system and. uh it's fun to get to the point of the season where fans are ready to start criticizing a coach. You know, it just feels like we're in the thick of it. <laughs> well, yeah, they're, they're chomping at the bit, but I, I think there's a lot of positives on this team because Portland's been a successful franchise for a long time. We got a, a long streak making the postseason. We know Damon CJ have been really consistent over their careers and the issue has just always been depth that we just haven't had the the championship depth that you would see on teams. Even like when the Warriors were were in the middle of that dynasty, obviously Steph and Clay and Draymond were were really good, but they had guys like Sean Livingston coming off the bench who were really big contributors. And it feels 
like the Blazers are closer to that than they've been in a long time with Nasir Little really stepping up. Anthony Simons has been doing a great job and and Larry Nance Jr. the last week or so has just been unbelievable. So Larry it, it does Larry, seem like Larry got some jerseys Larry got some jerseys sold this week, I think. <laughs> yeah. It's he's he's fun to watch. He's a he's a jumper. Did you see did you see uh, Stephen A's rant on Kyrie? Like that was a I I'm not the biggest like Stephen A fan, but every once in a while he'll put put one together that I think just belongs in a museum. And and I think that was as good of a Stephen A rant as I've seen as I've been seen. Oh, no, I got to go watch that. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, it was just, it was just all going like going off on how like Kyrie played KD and 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 just and uh, making the comparison about how KD like left for the the Nets and now the Warriors are the best team in the NBA again. It's 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 quality stuff. I I'm not even going to try to do it justice because that that guy is uh, on a different level. <laughs> so what's Kyrie's status now? Uh, I like, think what's his I, deal. I think he's uh, ambassador to the program. <laughs> <laughs> he's moved into a management role. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, shoot. Any any parting thoughts before we take off here? I got nothing. <laughs> I'm a little worried about this Utah game. Uh, I think Oregon's a better team, uh, but that's a weird place to play. It's probably going to be cold. Um, in Ve- like Vegas seems to to have Utah favored in that one, and so I don't, I don't know. Really? See. Yeah, I, th- I think it's like Utah plus three, which that's got to be the first time a number three team in the playoff has been an underdog to a team with three losses. Yeah, that's. That's shocking. I I think Oregon's gonna get it done. I think they're gonna I think they're gonna run the ball and and I I know Cristobal is gonna want to make a big statement about out physicaling this Utah team. There's been a lot of talk about that. You see the Travis Dye clip. <laughs> they have a Sewell. They have a we Sewell. Have a Sewell. We have a Sewell. <laughs> <laughs> that was I, uh, great. The the Sewell Oregon has feels like such a. Um, um, like enigma to me because he he doesn't do interviews. He doesn't like to talk. Um, really? And, and, or at this point, you know, it's, it's gotten even a little bit softer from like your guys's days too. When I remember Dave Wilford would try to like run through the tunnels to find Thomas Tyner for interviews, uh, uh <laughs> with, with, with Sewell, they don't even bother, which to be fair, like the kid's like 275 and a freak. So I don't think I'd, I'd, <laughs> I don't think I'd want to interview him if he doesn't want to be interviewed, but, uh, I, I would like to write <laughs> some more about that guy. I just don't know anything about him. I just have to get it secondhand. All right. Well, that's uh, that's it for us right now. Uh, stick around. We have Cole Urban coming up. Hey, Tyson here. And before we get to our interview with Cole Irvin, I first want to talk a little bit about vitamins. Yes, vitamins. If you're like me, you harbor a little bit of guilt knowing that you don't eat nearly enough fruits and vegetables throughout the week. And thankfully, I found a solution with Planet 3 Vitamins. Planet 3 Vitamins Core Supplement Pack gives me everything I need in one convenient daily package. It has my B12s, it has my fish oil, it has a daily multivitamin and more to give me that nutrition that I need throughout the week. Planet 3 Vitamins is also owned and operated by a University of Oregon graduate. It's manufactured in the United States, and it really just kind of takes the pressure off of figuring out what I need in the vitamin aisles at the grocery store. Planet 3 Vitamins is the first sponsor of the i5 Corridor podcast, and to celebrate, you can use promo code CORRIDOR10, that's capital C, CORRIDOR10, for $10 off your first purchase at planet3vitamins.com. Once again, CORRIDOR10 for $10 off your first purchase at planet3vitamins.com. And now, Cole Urban. 
All right, now up on the I-5 Corridor podcast, we have Oakland Athletics left-handed pitcher Cole Irvin, uh, former Oregon Duck. I got to cover him for a couple seasons back, uh, back in the day now. Uh, Cole's joining us from uh, North Carolina. He's got a Detroit Red Wings hat on, hockey stick in the background. I don't know what sport he plays at this point. Uh, <laughs> Cole, thanks, thanks for coming on, man. I, I appreciate your time. Oh, man, it's good to see your face again. I'll tell you that. It's, it's, it's good to be here. It's, it's Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk shop. So it's it's November 18th. What's, what's, a, what's a Major League Baseball player doing here in the middle of November? Uh, World Series ended up ended a few weeks ago. You guys have been, your guys' seasons have been done for about a month now. Uh, what'd you do today? <laughs> uh, well, I had woke up, had breakfast and coffee, like I think most people do. Good choice. Um, Good start. You know, it, actually, it was Dutch Brothers coffee because I actually buy like the can of already, you know, pre-ground and I put it into the like, like the K-cup oh, that yeah. you can enter ground in. Yeah. So I still love Dutch Brothers because I used to work there my senior year of college. Oh, did you really? Yeah. <laughs> so like I, I'm diehard still Dutch Brothers everything. I have to have Dutch Brothers in the morning. That's just kind of my thing um so yeah so just woke up um had uh some treatment today uh at you know a little bit earlier today would have been 12 um got some dry needling done um to loosen up my muscles and stuff so then after this we're going into i got an upper body workout so um haven't started throwing yet but that's kind of basically all it is it's lifting maintaining your body and finding things to do to do with the rest of your time the, 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 this was something that I wasn't going to go in until later, but the Dutch Brothers thing just fired off a, an idea. <laughs> but but when you when you came to Oregon, you had like a just a rock star freshman year, and then and then you then you had Tommy John surgery as a sophomore. Yeah, I did one. I can't imagine after that freshman year that you thought you were going to still be around for your senior year, and then you're working at a coffee shop. Like, what? Where's your mind frame at, at that at that point of like? I thought I would be in the professional big leagues by now. And now I'm, I'm filling 16 ounce grande. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I got my nickname Swervin Irvin when I was a freshman in, in college, um, just because I never did anything that was status quo. I never stuck with like what was normal. I always kind of like, there'd be times where I'd be gone from my like freshman apartment for like, 17 hours and my teammates would ask where i was and i'd be like i'm just driving around exploring oregon and i would literally go up to like pyramid lake uh shoot or triangle lake whatever it was called um and like just drive like get lost and try to find my way back with no gps like that's how i like operated just so i could learn the area and be comfortable so uh like one of my favorite spots uh off let's go with off the i-5 uh Coburg Road, Coburg Pizza Company, one of my favorite pizza spots. Uh, if you're ever in Eugene, that is like one of my spots. So yeah, like that's how I got my nickname. So like my nickname kind of translated in just kind of how I did things in college. So like my last right. year I had, I think I had to like register for the minimum of credits uh, to stay eligible. So really it was just electives like billiards, yoga, and like, I felt like the Matt liner of ballroom, like ballroom dancing <laughs> right, with, right. with for baseball. And so like, I just wanted to kill some time. So I took some graveyard shifts over at Dutch brothers at uh, the one off main street. And uh, it was just 
that's just i just well, took like, a couple a couple hours and it was fun and, and and you can probably get that on the east coast now they uh they're getting big i think they just ipo'd a couple months ago <laughs> and, I, and i bought a lot of stock i'll tell you that. yeah that that a boy that a boy now now, now you're in but I'm, I'm, i want to like actually get a couple franchises out here and like get them out east because they're just i just love the brand i love everything they do i love how they operate and it's just just dutch love is is real so uh, being on the East Coast and, and actually kind of thinking about that, you you have you made thirty two starts this year. You did the complete big league schedule, and I, I'm sure like there's probably some smart questions I could ask you about like you know how that went for you. But I'm just more curious of like what's it like traveling like when you're like a full legit big leaguer and now you're going city to city. Like like what was your favorite part of like like that? And did you have any like certain cities that that just really kind of registered for you yeah i mean i love i mean shoot any time we go to the northwest seattle i know i didn't pitch well there or against them in general but seattle is my favorite place to go um just because one my mom lives in in oregon now so she lives in um you know just outside portland so uh she gets to drive up and, and come see me um so that's you know a big reason my family gets to come up and see me there uh but just, I love Seattle in general. It's just, it's just got everything you want. You can get out outdoors really easy, you know, by a five minute drive, or you can stay in the city and there's just a lot of stuff to do. And so um, I think Seattle is definitely up there for one of my pl favorite places to go. Um, the smells are great. Just the Northwest is just where yeah. I'm comfortable, man. It's just like, it's, I love the Northwest. Um, but, and, but then I think just the overall travel is just different. And I feel like, when you're a West coast team traveling the East, you get shafted on a lot of road yeah, trips. Yeah. Um, I think this year we traveled East four times, four separate times. And so that over the course of a year is exhausting. And I, I remember calling uh, Kristen, my fiance a couple of times. I'm just like, I'm tired. Like, I feel like I'm getting sleep, but it's just the amount of time zones that I'm in and trying to jump back and forth. is just trying to maintain you know, a good sleep schedule. I just felt tired when it got towards the end next year, it'll be a little bit easier, but, uh, that was, that was the toughest part was just the traveling. I, I, I imagine there's like some phases to that. Cause I I'm guessing like probably like your first month or so you're like, this is badass. I'm in the big leagues. We're, we're yeah. traveling around and then it's, you have 162 of these things. It's yeah. I mean, probably... I mean, it's like we're home for six days, 10 days most. Um, and then we're on the road for, you know, we'll have a, you know, 13 game road trip and we're in different cities every three days or four days. So it's like, pick your poison. It's, it's never, it's, you're never in one spot for more than 10, 10 days at a time, it seems. So it's, uh, it's pretty wild. What, what, what did it do for your, your just kind of your game to have that set spot in the rotation, knowing that you were going to be coming up every, every fifth, fifth, uh, fifth game and, and, and just kind of really kind of establish as establishing yourself as a big link, big league arm this year. Yeah. I think the first two months I still felt like there was a little bit of pressure on me to still perform. Um, just because I still, I still had an, I still have an option left on my, on my contract so I can still go back down to AAA at any time. So there's a little bit of that, that I'm still, that I'm still fighting right. for. I don't want to go back down to AAA. So um, there's that chip on my shoulder of like, I got to perform in order to stay. And, uh, and that kind of was really relevant um, the first couple months of the season. And then as we got more into the season and I started enjoying 
you know, my teammates a little bit more and, and spending time with them. Uh, that's where I got out of my little comfort zone and, and started going golf a little bit more and started to right. enjoy places we went to. And the, the biggest memory I have on the year was we went to Colorado and I invited a couple guys at the start and a couple guys turned into 10 real quick. And we all went fly fishing um, in Colorado on the off day. And so that will be a memory that I'll have forever. I have, you know, photos of the fish that we caught, um, trout, and um, just the memories that I'll have from that trip and the teammates that I had um, from that trip that that'll be something I won't, I won't ever forget for sure. Is, is that pretty common on like a road trip off day? Do I, do, do most people just kind of disperse and do your own thing? And then, man, this team hung out every, every time we could, um, you know, that, that was the cool part about this group is they, we, we hung out off the field, you know, team dinners group, you know, hang out in someone's hotel room, just like, there's always seemed to be five to 10 of us at a time, just somewhere hanging out. And that was what the, the coolest part about this team uh, that, I, that I took away from this season was just how much they loved hanging out with each other and how close they were as friends. And so that, that was cool. You, you, you opened the door for this just because you mentioned that you didn't pitch well against Seattle, but Seattle Mariners <laughs> fans are the most like, I don't think they hate anybody like it's like Sweden, like like they haven't, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's just a very neutral franchise, right. you know, nobody hates them. They they don't hate anyone. But then you happen to like draw the ire of, of their fan base for the mo most of the summer. And I thought it was the funniest thing because it's just I mean, obviously, it probably wasn't as great in your position because you had some struggles against them later. But what what is it like being at the center of Seattle Mariners fan hatred? Like, what's that experience like? Well, I think there's a little bit of understanding. I mean, I didn't, I didn't make good comments in order to, <laughs> to be in good graces in Seattle. Uh, but uh, you know what? It doesn't take away from the fact that I enjoy playing there. I enjoy, yeah. I enjoy going up to Seattle. Um, you know, it was just one of those things. I was frustrated and I couldn't, I mean, it was just, it was just one of those things where I said that the wrong things at the wrong time and everyone got wind of it. And that was, and, and, and and to be fair, nobody was expecting that team to then end up going and win 90 games or whatever they did this year. Like it, to be fair, yeah. and they still kicked my butt. So, you yeah. know, what? I, I've accepted I've accepted, uh, you know, everything that I got from that. And even just being there, I think that was another fun. I will say fun experience is being on the bat, the like the the bad guy end, because right. um, normally I'm, I'm, I'm pretty easy going and, and, and I try to be not necessarily likable because not everyone's going to like you, but I, I enjoy having good conversations and, and saying yes to as like, you know, things like this all the time. And that was, that was different as being like the bad guy. So like that was a unique unintentional thing that I had to work through. Uh, Cause I really never had that, that, um, that's, well, shoot! I remember when, yeah. when you were at, when you were at Oregon, you never said anything like other than other than boldly predicting that we were going to oh, be in the world, uh, <laughs> college shit, world series about, every year. I, I forgot. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I have. I have like my one year every like five or six where something stupid's coming out of my mouth. So yeah, well, like, you know, if it, if it's ninety five percent, like you know, PC safe, whatever, like that that five percent will catch you every once in a while. Oh yeah. Uh, so I wanted to ask you about Oregon because mm -hmm. um, whenever I've 
been covering like the basketball beat and they they usually have those road trips in january or february down to Ar- the arizona schools one of my favorite things would be to like walk around yeah. their campuses and it's like 75 degrees 80 degrees like the baseball fields just look pristine and at that point like in those moments i always think that oregon state winning the college world series three times yeah is the most impressive thing in all of college sports because you have to convince baseball players to not be in the sun and come up. Why did you come to Oregon is essentially my, 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 <laughs> my, long, my long running question. Um, you know, so for those that don't know me, my, my grandfather played basketball at USC. Uh, he was on the only final four team, 1954 um, uh, team, the only final four team from, from Southern Cal. So uh, that was, there's a lot of blood and a lot of, things that I have going and ties that I have to SC. And so for me to turn down SC was really something that was kind of big in our family, but more importantly, it was kind of something that it was a reason there's a reason why. And something that I was given advice to was pick somewhere you're going to a school to live there for four years. For me, I was thinking three, obviously Tommy John sets me in Oregon for four. And now I look back and I go, I'm so glad I chose Oregon because living in downtown LA for four years, 25, 30 minutes from my hometown. Is that really going to teach me how to live on my own and, you know, be able to take care of myself and understand what it takes to do those things? Probably not. And so uh, that was the biggest, biggest piece of advice I got while going through the college process is choose somewhere that you're going to live for four years. And, and it wasn't, anything like make your mark or anything like that. It was, it was purely based on living conditions. And I loved, I loved Eugene. Every time I went there, it was sunny in 75. It was the whole recruiting treatment, you know, like I didn't, I didn't have a bad experience anytime I went to school or just to visit. So, um, and on top of that, uh, coach Horton, you know, his tenure at, uh, Cal State Fullerton was the years that I was, being molded into a baseball player. And I met him and his staff, uh, a couple of his staff members were my pitching coach uh, right. in high school and, and middle school. So like there was just so much that kind of aligns the stars aligned to be at Oregon. And then, um, yeah, I'm just, I'm glad that I was able to graduate and be drafted in the same weekend. Uh, that was, I mean, I should have went out and caught a Marlin. I'll tell you that because, <laughs> yeah, right. because I mean, it was such a great weekend for me and, and obviously, um, but Oregon was just, there was so many great memories. And I just remember that if it was sunny at all on campus, like in, or just in the Northwest in general, it is the best place to be. And I think that's probably why I love playing in Seattle so much is because it's just like when it's great weather, when there's not a cloud in sight or even partly cloudy, it's the best place to be. There's you can't you can't tell me otherwise. If uh, if you had pitched bad, how slow does that walk that Horton would take from the the dugout to the mound take? Because, I mean, that that thing was was a. Uh, opposite of brisk in the first place the waddle the waddle the waddle had a had a reason behind it though he was given he was given our granted he he did have some 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 knee problems i'm pretty sure so i mean there was a little bit of that um towards his and and he he was wearing such a a a bulked up coat too that he didn't have a ton of mobility yeah (laughs) yeah no for sure and so like 
but like he was giving our bullpen a little bit of time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I love, I love Horton. We, we talk quite often and, uh, and believe it or not, uh, my dad and him are trying to schedule a, a fly fishing trip sometimes. Oh, really? So, uh, George and his family have just have, have become part of my family. And, and so that's, that's why I always loved, you know, playing for him and, and, and I love staying connected with Waz and the program now. Um, you know, I'm I'm still pretty well connected. Um, disappointed that I didn't make the uh, alumni game this year, but I'm going to try to next year for sure. But Horton was always so he was the first coach that I really covered. Like after I I had covered high schools at the Oregonian for a few years, and then got on the Ducks beat. And yeah, and 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 George was uh, George was such a like a fantastic like landing pad for somebody new new in a gig because yeah. you could you could ask him one question and he would talk for 10 minutes if you wanted him to um he he was like oddly caring like about you know just like you know if someone hadn't like shown up to a media scrum for a few times like he'd notice and say something um and it was also just like very obvious that like he cared about you you players as well and he was just a, a fascinating persona and i would love just like his intricacies from like <laughs> the funniest thing would be on like Fridays if we were at football practice, uh, like spring football practices, yeah. uh, you know, interviews would be like 9 a.m. And you'd see Horton walking around in his full uniform because you guys had a game that night, like 10 hours later. <laughs> <laughs> just, he was just always the, ready. Yeah. <laughs> I loved I loved Horton. Horton had so many, I call them Hortonisms. Um and it just the, just the playing for him was just such a great experience. He he bought into a lot of uh, things that I think Joe Madden and him were pretty had a good relationship. So there was a lot of like uh, quotes and stuff that were hanging around the clubhouse, and and a lot of things that he would, you know, I think he would try to instill in us. But I think the biggest thing that I that I I, I enjoyed and, and really enjoyed playing for George was the fact that he, he wanted us to be, yes, really good ball players. Like he, we, he wanted to win. He wanted to win at Oregon. Um, and we had some winning seasons and, but the biggest thing is he started every two a days. So like right before school would start the two weeks before school would start our two a days, he'd always start with guys. You're here at Oregon. You're in college. I expect you to be stupid. Like, like he's not, he didn't, he didn't shy away from that. He understood like, Hey, you guys are going to make mistakes, but be men about it. And I think his, his understanding that we were, you know, freshly out of high school and becoming our own person, he was really instrumental about uh, understanding who we wanted to be and how we cared for each other and how we cared for our families. And, um, and as a player, that was something that I can always look back on and, and, really say that he helped with because I think a lot of things that his program, um, the expectations as a ball player translated into expectations in the classroom and expectations into, into your regular life. And so there was, I think there was a lot of things that I, I had a lot of respect for um, in regards to becoming a man um, and the way he ran a program. How did you end up racing with Dale Earnhardt Jr. last week or a couple weeks ago? <laughs> So what you know, a, you know, what like, a transition like, like you're scrolling through twitter you know and like you're used to seeing like certain people tweeting about whatever and then all of a sudden it's just like cole Irvin with dale and it's like this doesn't make sense so i you know. and 
guess what? It's it's a great, you know, I did a great job of clicking, click uh, clickbait, right? Just trying to create some clickbait. But yeah, so um, <laughs> Monday Night Racing has been something that's been going on for apparently three years. I had no idea about, uh, if I can bring my camera down a little bit, I mean, I got my wheel right here. Oh, hell yeah. I got my wheel right there. Like, I'm like... I'm, I- I've recently become like like I've become like all in on F1 recently, yes. and so I'm. Let me guess. I, Netflix brought you in. It, it brought me in, but <laughs> I. Uh, but last week they had uh, uh, what was it? The Mexico Grand Prix. It was on at like nine a.m. Like football was on. I was I was actually watching the Grand Prix and wondering like. No, what? it was Brazil last week, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Sorry, Brazil, and then it was uh, Mexico the week before. The week it, before which and then the, USA before that. Right. So I, gosh, I've, have I watched two in a row now? I, I don't know what's happening <laughs> to me, man. <It's... laughs> so, but yeah, yeah. Monday night racing, so get back on track, uh, is, is a great, is a really cool series. Um, Daryl Waltrip called last week's race. Um, so like I got invited from a couple friends that I play golf with, um, that, that are in NASCAR and, and do some NASCAR, NASCAR pit row, uh, production and, and, uh, broadcasting. So, uh, my buddies were like, Hey, do you do iRacing? I was like, yeah, I've, I have iRacing. I just never like, there's no one that I know that plays it. So like, I'm really just kind of driving by myself and enjoying time. Well, they're like, Hey, do you want to do this Monday night racing league thing? They're like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, sure. Like, that sounds cool. Like I thought it was just like, kind of like a beer league. Right. Like I wasn't expecting anything like this. <laughs> I thought it was like a beer league. So like I jump in and legitimately, I get a phone call from my buddy he goes, Hey, do you want to practice this week on, you know, Xfinity cars at Daytona? I was like, yeah, sure. Like, why do we need to practice? Like, it's just like an oval. Like it's not like that big a deal. He goes, Oh, well, Dale jr. And Kyle Bush just joined the season, uh, series for the year. And then apparently, uh, NH, uh, NHRA champion funny car champion ron caps this year uh is in on it bernard pollard super bowl champion and all of a sudden i'm starting to look at the list of drivers and i'm going every single one of these guys either drives for a living or has or has some cachet has (laughs) has some type of involvement in racing and here i am just fiddling around on a wheel and now I'm racing with Dale Jr. And I get in the draft and like the first, my first video on YouTube is like all about Dale Jr. I beat Kyle Busch in the first week. I was so excited. Uh, and then this week. Are, I, are those, are those guys who drive in real life? Are, does it translate to that? I'm not kidding you. I, I think a hundred percent it does because, okay. because I mean, I feel everything on my wheel and like, the draft is real on this thing. You can side draft. Like it is absolutely insane and wild, especially for me. Cause like I, my, my brother-in-law or future brother-in-law, he, he drives uh, off-road uh, has his own off-road team and uh, not Baja, but short course. Um, and so I was actually at testing his testing the other day. And it's just, it's just wild how much like their cars work and like how, uh, like I'm in kind of more of like where I'm in North Carolina is like the Mecca of racing. So like, I'm in like tracks or I'm not kidding you are like five minutes from me in each direction and like these small little short courses. So like on Saturday nights in the summer, you'll just hear, just hear the revving of engines locally. And it's pretty freaking cool. 
So like, I don't know. I just found this love for racing. Um, F1, I'm a big fan of, but I just love all racing. So if it's on TV, I'm turning it on. And um, yeah, it's, I, I live, uh, I live like two miles down from uh, the, like the Portland International yeah. Speedway. And, you know, every, every, they, they haven't had any like real big events there in a while, but every once in a while, because I'll, I'll golf around there and you just, you know, they'll have like some sort of like Tuesday night leagues out yeah. there. But they, they, they did just announce that I think in 20 summer of 23, they're going to have whatever the, the second, uh, not, not the top rung NASCAR series, but the, the, the second Xfinity, one. The Xfinity yeah, they're, series. Yeah, yeah. They're going to have an X, Xfinity race there, which like, I've never been a huge NASCAR fan, but if it's in the neighborhood, I should, I think I should probably go to it. Yeah. 100%. They're, they're a lot of fun, man. And, and yeah, it gets the rap of, of the redneck crowd and stuff like that. But honestly, shoot, you go to a race and, and they're just so fun. It's like, it's like going to a, I guess not even trying to compare apples to apples, but like going to a hockey game to a for first time and how much like someone enjoys going to a hockey game and comes out, comes away and goes like, Oh my God, that was like the most fun I ever had because it's ongoing action. That's how the NASCAR is like, yeah, they're making left turns or on short, you know, on street courses, they're, they're doing other things, but like, yeah, they're doing round. And, but as soon as that rev of that engine hits you, it's like, there's just no feeling like it. And it's, it's that for all racing. So I, I think that was, it, it was back in like 2014 was when I was first like, Oh, I think I like Cole Irvin. Cause he's tweeting about hockey and back in 2014 before the Kraken were a thing around here, you know, we were few and far between the, the people who would expose themselves as hockey fans online. Yeah. Um, and uh, you're, you're wearing a Red Wings hat now. And I did see on your Instagram that, did you guys have like some like on ice access at, at Joe Lewis or something like that? <laughs> we or? did. We did. Like, uh, so okay. I, so that so that that like that's got to be. I'm thinking of like all the cool things of being like a pro pro professional athlete, yeah. and like that stuff's got to be like up there, right? That, like that just stuff is 100 percent up there. I mean, just having the access to just being able to like have your PR team message, uh, you know, message the Red Wings just to see if you can see the locker room or see get some club access and it just so happens that your strength coach comes with you and starts talking with their strength coaches so now they're connected so it's like it's kind of like two things like you're getting connected with like is networking it's networking <laughs> for like one person for me it's like i get to hang out with uh get to hang out with and talk with uh blashville the head coach about his hockey experience with uh, gary player and like playing in the pro-am before the weekend tournament in Michigan. I'm just like, this is just nuts. And then uh, the stick behind me is uh, Tyler Bertuzzi's and I'm walking out of the locker room. Just, he was switching out sticks and signed it, handed it to me, knowing that I was the diehard fan. And I'm just like, what is going on? And then uh, if I, I I'll, I'll share with you in like two seconds, it's just right here, but I have another story. So we were at, we we're at the Red Wings facility, got access. A couple of my teammates came came with my uh, conditioning coach. And we were going through the shop. And, and two years prior, uh, when I was with the Phillies, we went to Detroit and I did the same thing. But this time I actually got to meet players and got to hang out and, and see a lot more. Um, whereas, um, tw so 2019, they had this sweater. It was Gordie Howe sweater. And it was just the classic 
just, I mean, looked like a wool, old, classic, like vintage sweater. And they made nine of them for Gordie Howe 9. And I was like, hey, do you guys have any Gordie Howe stuff? And they're like, yeah, we, 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 I think we do. Let me check. And so <laughs> the guy goes in the back and I told him about the sweater. So he went back, see if they had any in stock. And he goes, man, we didn't have anything, you know, on terms of the sweater, but I do have this number. And I went, you have a number? He goes, it's, it's a vintage number that you can, and I'll give you the, the company that made the sweater for us. Uh, I can give you oh, out. Yeah. And so like he was connecting me with all, well, he gave me the number. I'm going to grab it real quick. Hang on. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> and so as a diehard Red Wing fan, um, I got the Gordie Howe, uh, I got the Gordie Howe number and it says Gordie Howe at the top, Mr. Hockey in the, in the middle, and then uh, hall of fame 72. Oh, that's awesome. And, uh, I still get chills whenever I like grab it because it's like, that is now like my most prized possession. Um, you know, yeah, I got my debut Jersey sitting right behind me, but my most prized possession is my Gordie Howe number that I haven't put on a sweater. It's <laughs> like, and he said it wasn't in their system and he just gave it to me. Really? Oh man. that's. So and cool. I was just like, and I went online later and I realized how much those sweaters were going for. And I went, wow, this is incredible. And so like just the whole experience of being able to do stuff like that, the places I get to golf too, is like, I'm an avid golfer. So like, there's just so much that comes with being a professional athlete. And I haven't, even remotely tried to tap into probably some things I could probably get access to, but Dude, the, uh, I, I think that the, the easiest way to describe and granted, you know, this guy's at a completely different level of fame at this point, but I, yeah, I covered Herbert for four years and you, yeah. and he was this, just this quiet, soft spoken, you know, whatever. And then he had an Instagram cause he's on Instagram now. And I think it was like January of this year. So he'd just been named rookie of the year. And he's playing Pebble Beach with Jim Nance, and Jim Nance is narrating his shots like, as, yeah. he's hitting, as he's hitting into, and it's just like, okay, like that's a different level of uh, of, of you know you of stardom you, of oh, what you're man, at. That is so cool. That is so cool. Yeah, I got to play the 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 two highlight rounds I got to play this year in terms of golf uh, was Congressional, um, just outside DC, and then uh, Firestone country club okay that was those were amazing rounds those were really cool i gotta i gotta play uh aaron hills out in wisconsin oh, before yeah. a friend's before a friend's wedding uh about a month ago and it was um that was spectacular i was i was embarrassed for myself to be out there you know <laughs> <laughs> i think that's how we all are um yeah. you know i just feel like there's times where i'm on a course like those and i'm just like should i really be out here because i'm like out there taking photos like totally right. fanboying over where i'm at just because like I, I recognize like the history that has been at those courses and, and, you know, Ryder cups and Tiger Woods finishing holes in the dark at Firestone. And right. You know, like, oh, and, man, I remember, I remember watching that one on TV. Yeah. And like I played Valhalla in 2018 in Louisville, Kentucky, where uh, Rory finished in the dark on that 
course. And that was another experience that I, probably one of the best rounds of golf I've played on a course that the PGA has visited. That was probably the best round I've ever had. Um, shot two over from the PGA. Um, I took Sunday. So I took the scorecard from Sunday and had it printed out before I went. So I matched every tee box that they oh, were sweet. at. So that was fun. Can you, can you skate? Yeah, I can skate. Okay. I'm better I when mean, I have a stick in my hand. I'll tell you the, that. The, the hair is looking really nice for a bucket to put on it. I got, <laughs> I got, I got a mohawk or not a mohawk, uh, a mullet going on right now. Um, I was, I was, it, it was going to remind, it was reminding me of hockey, but it does kind of like have an essence of like the, the early nineties McGuire kind of perm to it. <laughs> it does so. have a little bit of perm to it, don't it? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, I got, I got, I got a mullet going on. So, uh, fiance convinced me to get it so here we are i i was i was thinking about this a couple of days ago being being a starting pitcher there's probably no position in sports that has a camera on you for longer periods of time throughout the event yeah uh how much do you notice that best way to put it is um i i've i've kind of stopped i've stopped watching or caring what things are said or, or even just like seen on camera. Like I just kind of, it's become more of like a normal everyday thing that I'm not, right. I'm not surprised when I do see like A's coverage and I'm, and I'm on the screen, like not necessarily where I'm pitching, but it's just like the starting rotations in general, get a lot of, just get a lot of TV time. And so like, even when we're doing stupid gimmicky stuff in the dugout that's captured on tv and it's like you never realize how many cameras there are on a baseball field until you're in the big leagues for an extended period of time and realize that if you pick your nose someone saw it <laughs> yeah. Yeah, i'd be i'd be screwed man be all, all over the place <laughs> uh I, I got a, i got a couple couple more just rapid yeah. fire i want to ask a major league pitcher these questions uh we were talking about your stick in the background and i was telling you that I had just gotten a new one and was taping it up. And I'm curious when you get a new glove, what's your process of, of breaking in a glove? Uh, I'm very simple. I don't want it to be obviously rock tight. Um, but the, the, it's, it's for me, it's use it for like the first three days that I get it and then, um, make sure that I wrap it before I leave. So whether that be a rubber band or, or, um, some shoe strings. Um, just, I kind of just try to make sure that there's a ball and there, there really isn't too much of a process. Cause I like my glove being a little stiffer. And at the end of the year, it gets a little aggravating for me because now the glove has been kind of worn and I try to, I try to keep the, uh, was it the glove oil on it? So it stays firm, but there's only so much you can do. <laughs> what, what's protocol for how do you play it off when you accidentally hit somebody but like you you don't want to look like oh shit you know you don't <laughs> i mean it's part of the game like there's there's times yeah. where i've for me like I, I try to throw inside and i and i actually do hit the inside part of the plate and the guy might just it might have just came in a little bit towards the end right. and i get a guy like i think I mean, sliders, I think sliders and curveballs have been more of the pitch that I hit guys with. Right. Um, but, but when I do hit a guy with a fastball, unless it's intentional, I mean, most of the time it's just because a guy's on the plate and I'm trying to go inside and 
it just it's just a perfect remedy for guys to get hit. And a guy on our on our team that just became a free agent that does it a lot is Mark Canna. He sent a set a single season hit by pitch record this year. Dude, that was I, I remember he, on uh, on your Ducks team, uh, Aaron Payne. I think he had like forty in the year. So or something Aaron Payne like is Mark Canna of the major leagues. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I think he has now he has the all time record by hit by pitches uh, in A's history and single season. So it's like he's literally Aaron Payne to a T. Would you Would you rather have uh, Otani's velocity or his power? Mm. Because I like to hit, I'm taking yeah. the power. I'm taking the power because honestly, pitching, you still got to pitch when you have velocity. And I feel like there's times where velocity kind of bites guys in the butt. Um, so I think, I think I'll take the, the power for sure. Well, cause you, you played a season in, in Philly. How many, how many at bats did you get? I had, so I had two at bats or sorry, I had six or seven at bats last season. Okay. I had more than that. I had more than that, but I had, um, I got my first RBI last year. Uh, I had um, two hits, and then my first hit ever was my second start in the big leagues, and it was uh, against Cole Hamels, which is someone I idolized as a pitcher. Actually kind of similar. Very similar. Pitching, yeah. And so I loved watching him pitch when he was with Philly when I was in high school. So I always watched their games. And so but my first hit was Cole Hamels on a cutter that I took right up the middle uh and then and and did you know what you were doing like doing with it oh yeah i mean i saw i mean it just covered the it just went back over the middle of the plate and i just it was just a perfect pitch for me to hit just just see the ball hit the ball hit the, simple, see right? the ball hit the ball guys it's not yeah, that hard it's, it's a simple game um <laughs> but my first at bat was probably the coolest at bat i've ever had in my career um minor leagues or major leagues it was a it was a 12 pitch walk against john gray so my first major league at bat I'm you had a 12 pitch walk oh my I god i had a 12 pitch walk and nobody on two outs i mean there was a couple calls that i definitely could have got rung up on without a doubt but they were close um so i ended up regardless 12 pitch walk but in those last like once it got to like eight pitch eight or nine i started getting a standing ovation from the philly fans <laughs> and then i walked and the place went nuts it was sick then i'm on first base so i'm on first base for the first time in my major league career and mccutcheon comes up three two count i'm supposed to be stealing right three two count two outs like you're just kind of giving the base away and hits a home run Oh, perfect. <laughs> and I'm going, what do I do? So when I get to home, I don't know what to do. So I take off my helmet yeah. and I go for a helmet to helmet tap like that we did in college. He gave me a high five on the helmet. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> and it wasn't until afterwards that Kutch, Kutch legitimately. I bet, I, bet, I bet you thought about that forever, too. <laughs> I was running around the bases thinking about it. Time couldn't have been slower in those moments because I didn't know what to do. And McCutcheon comes up to me afterwards. He goes, uh, after the game, he goes, Irv, you gave that the good old college try, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh that was so funny. Oh, that just hit that just hits the right anxiety bone for me. Like I'll have just at, at work stuff if I like, you know, screw up like a dap or like a handshake or something. Uh -huh. And these are these are very low stakes situations right. too. Yeah. It'll sit with me for like three days, you know, like ah oh, fuck. Like I I gotta make sure this one's better next yeah. time. 
and you did it with Andrew McCutcheon. <laughs> yeah, that was there's there's a photo I have it. Uh, there's a photo of me giving like us at home plate doing that, and it's hilarious. There is a photo. So when when you guys are getting ready, like you know, I'll see. I, I know before you guys go on like an NL road trip, like pitchers will get BP and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. But like, how how much are you? How invested are they in actually making sure that you guys? are semi-competent up there our oakland was was really good about it um oakland was really good about it philly we hit every day as pitchers um not relievers per se but starters they hit every day um there's some days where uh pitchers weren't hitting um but for the most part you were pretty comfortable with the bat uh you understood who was who was you know if you were going to be facing freed or uh, Fulton Nevitz or whoever it was when I was over there in Philly, um, you had the scouting reports and stuff. So, um, it was pretty, it was pretty in depth. Uh, and that's, that's why I, I, I think I took a lot of pride for me as a pitcher. I like turning the lineup over and I wanted to get on base and I wanted to contribute because that, that contribution helps me, right. you know, like why would I waste in that bat? And that's how I thought of it. So I wanted to be a, full baseball player. So whenever this year as an AL team, whenever we got to go to the NL team, I was in our coach's ear about trying to get cage time, trying to get like, not aggressively, but like during the game, like our hitting coach would, would take us back there and and make sure that we had, you know, you know, some reps and stuff. And um, that was so much fun, man. Like I I love hitting. Uh, I hope we don't, I hope we don't get rid of it, but because I I like the difference in leagues, uh, but I understand, I understand why we should probably get rid of it. Uh, But that's just from a personal standpoint where I have three hits and a couple walks and, you know, I have a little bit of, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of pop, (laughs) a little bit of pop. So don't have an extra base hit yet. Why do I get the impression that you're going to be one of those guys who's like 45 and just cranking them in uh, like Tuesday night beer league softball um, softball game? Yeah, it's it's kind of sad that I'm not a part of a softball team already. Honestly, I probably should. I that's, probably that's should probably that's probably in your contract. Like it during season, right? <laughs> maybe, maybe. I think I think if I were to, be uh, like, that would be so sweet. <laughs> oh man, I sh- I should probably figure out something to do with that. But golf is good for now. I think I think cranking drives is a lot more fun. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. And, uh, you know, we <clears throat> softball, you get sore after playing softball, man. Granted, you know, not all of us, most of <laughs> us aren't in, uh, you know, playing shape, but it's yeah. a lot of just standing around and then sprinting. And, you know, you see, I think I saw like three ACLs and an Achilles go down this this summer. I think the problem is, is no one's stretching. Yeah. I think that's the biggest problem. If, if guys were, if, if everyone out there like stretched before, I think we might be in a better situation. <laughs> but i've i've seen some pretty bad stuff even when i was at oregon uh just like the the rec rec league softball games and stuff you know the co-ed stuff i i saw some pretty scary scary occurrences out there does does your arm feel uh like how scary was it to get tommy john surgery when you're like 20 or 21 and then like what like did it just they, they, they talk about guys coming back stronger from that, but like, does your, does your arm actually feel different than it did six years ago before you had that? I felt like I had a noodle arm before Tommy John. Like I could throw anytime as long as I wanted to. And then as soon as Tommy John hit, I went, Oh, maybe I should watch how far I throw. Maybe I should figure out 
a strength program to get myself stronger. So this, these injuries don't happen again. And then I started finding a good space now in pro ball that I found, found some good areas to like a health, health wise, weight wise, you know, all that stuff. And, and now, it's, now it's more of a science rather than anything else. Um, so, so, but yeah, I, I don't necessarily notice a difference, but I know for a fact that I was just kind of, I threw it whenever I wanted to, however I wanted to. And there was no, there was no hesitation, you know, man, that, that staff had bad because you guys could have been filthy that year. Cause it was you and like Matt Crook, who was disgusting when he was like 18 years old. Yeah. I think, I think deep, no, no. Peterson came in my junior year. Yeah. So, and I think, I think Thorpe was the number three, like that was three solid, like number one type of type guys in yeah. that rotation. Yeah. We just, uh, yeah. I'm glad they're bringing the fences in that in Oregon. I know that. I think that's going to help a lot because we, we were very, you know, West coast baseball, you know, get the guy on, get the guy over, get him in. And if we didn't get him in, we better pitch well and play defense. And, uh, for, for two of those years, we just weren't playing good defense. And I think that's what hurt us. I think my favorite just stretch of any athlete that I've covered at Oregon was like the random hot, hot streak, uh, Sean chase got on where he was hitting like two Oh five, but with like 17 bombs. (laughs) It was great. It was great. Yeah. He was fun to watch that year, man. That, That was cool. Um, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of times where I look back and just the, the teammates, the, the memories and the, the teams we had and, and the players that came out of those teams. I mean, just look at now, like Jake Reed, uh, Sherfy, uh, myself, TA, Tyler Anderson, you know, leading the charge to, to get ducks in the, in the pros, uh, Scott McGuff, I think is over in, uh, Korea or no, he might be in, uh, Japan. Yeah, I don't know which league he's in, but he's he was you know was up with the Marlins for a little bit. Um, you know, there, there's just so many guys now that we're starting to see get into the major leagues from from Oregon. It's it's fun to watch, and you know, and Ohelia was a part of those teams yeah. as well. And so, um, I know he left his mark on in Oakland A's uh, organization. I know I've got a lot of questions about Healy when I first got over there. Yeah, I bet. So, it's uh, w- one of my favorite things is when we go on like these football road trips. And so like most recently it was for like Ohio state. Like usually if uh, you fly in like Friday morning and, and usually if the town's either major league or minor league, I, I I've gone to like a, a game. And so out in Columbus, I ended up at the, uh, what's, what's the, the team that they have? It's Clippers? Columbus. Uh, yeah. The Columbus Clippers and end up running, running into uh, like Todd, My- Todd miles and Rob Mosley do the exact same things. Yeah. And, we never we never really coordinate, but we always end up running into <laughs> each other at the same thing, and it's, it's just is that that Oregon crew lo- likes baseball, and I'm I'm happy for them that it, it seems like that. Uh, with Waz, they're kind of getting that yeah. mojo back yeah. because uh, when when it was going there, those first like five years or so, like that that program had a lot of support and, and momentum, and uh, it's it's um, definitely still there. I, th- I don't think it's ever lost its its uh, its commitment to winning. But I think there was a little bit of time where there was just a transition phase that, yeah. you know, I think the talent that was going to pro ball was higher than it was going to college. And it was tough for colleges to recruit and, and stay competitive for, for a few of those years. Um, but now colleges are starting to recruit better and COVID might have helped with, you know, the COVID, COVID rules and all that, keeping guys back for a fifth year. So 
Um, I'm sure guys like Cole Stringer's back for a six year. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I, I give him all, all the, all the love and joking, you know, aside, but you know, he's, he's, he was great for that program for five years or something like that, just playing the role that he did. And, um, so, you know, the coaching staff is really good too. I mean, you got Brett Thomas, you got, uh, so many, so many guys that have played for the program back, and coaching for the program. So I think it's, I think it's good for, for duck baseball moving forward and, and, uh, and the Pacific Northwest for, for baseball as well. Do you get hotel points when you guys travel? I haven't asked. I probably, that's when, that's when you know things are, that's when you know things are good is, is when you're not, not, concerned about the hotel points because you guys like you'd be like lifetime platinum at this point I yeah think. i know so i know i'm marriott lifetime platinum because of minor leagues okay <laughs> i i still had a lot of time and isn't that, isn't that funny and... isn't that funny like you finally get the status and then like once you're finally making the money where it doesn't really matter that about the status and it's just like eh. yeah but the, i mean i still use it you know like yeah. whenever oh, hell yeah. whenever freeze free <laughs> yeah whenever my fiance and i can go like uh somewhere or need a hotel somewhere we use it but that's that's the crazy part is is just the travel is so different and like the hotels and and the lifestyle it sounds it sounds like i'm not unappreciative when i say this but like it gets tired it gets old oh yeah no it's it gets old busy man and it's and it's like you don't want to be in a hotel for three three days or even six or seven um and long road trips sometimes 15 days you know it's like it's it's a tough stretch and um, you know, you're away from family, you're away from friends. And, and that's, that's the difficult part about it is yeah, the hotels are great. They're five-star hotels and resorts and got everything you could ever want on a, at a place. But, you know, sometimes Uber East doesn't show up and you're stuck with the hotel, you know, tax and fees and on that, on the food and stuff. And, you know, there's some of us that still like pinching pennies where, where we shouldn't have to. And, you know, th- that's, hey, just... hey, that, that, that's how you end up not on one of those documentaries down the road. So. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> so yeah, Uber Eats is my friend still. Yeah. Well, shoot, man, I, I could probably sit here and ask you another two or three hours of questions, but I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, I, I think, uh, you've been more than gracious enough with your time here so far. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been fun, man. I, I've, I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed talking. It's been, it's the reason it's been like this is because we haven't talked in a while. We haven't connected. And right. so we got to do a better job staying connected and, and talking and communicating, talking hockey, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. Maybe, maybe well, next year, if someone drops out of my fantasy league, you can pick up their uh, keeper league. That's a lot. That's a lot of pressure, man. I'm just saying. Just, Okay. Well, next time uh, when you guys come through Seattle next uh, next season, uh, yeah, the, we'll we'll have the corridor come up and and we'll 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 do a store this uh, uh, a face to face story one of these days. Yeah, so, we'll do it. That'd be fun. Yeah, cool. Awesome. Well, hey, hey, thanks a lot, Cole. This was great. And uh, everyone, uh, actually, what, what's your what, what's the base, best way for them to watch uh, your your Monday Night Racing League? Yeah, uh, not only just Monday Night Racing. Um, but also like pitching videos where I'm doing like educational stuff. Uh, my life beyond the diamond. Um, I'm going to launch a series sometime in January, uh, talking about my fishing, hunting, um, my life when it hits the off season, what happens, what I do, 
Um, I try to cover a lot of stuff on my YouTube channel, but that's literally, you can just go to youtube.com forward slash C forward slash Cole Irvin. Um, I wish it was a little simpler than that, but <laughs> that's, that's what the way they do it. Uh, but you can just type in on youtube.com Cole Irvin. Uh, you'll see a check mark next to my name and be able to watch anytime I go live, anytime I upload a new video, uh, you can, you can see it on there. And then my social media is swerving underscore Irvin 19. Awesome. All right. Well, hey, thanks, thanks a lot, man. Thank you. You're listening to the I-5 Corridor, hosted by Tyson Alger and Aiden Schneider.